Okay, we got some good gear talk this week. Lots of interesting products coming and a couple that are already here. Uh, kind of a sad but curious tidbit. A classic, almost humorous, uh, old school, couple old school things I uh, came across that might uh, crack you up. And then some good racing stuff. Uh, we're going to be picking up the season uh, for the last couple races here. But there's some other things other than World Cup that uh, is going on. With that said, it is time to get rolling. This is Short Travel Magazine. Short Travel Magazine. Interesting tidbits, curated just for you. All right, let's talk about an interesting tidbit. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of this, but, you know, the World Championships uh, in Glentris just ended, what, a month ago? Has it already been that long? And they've already completely removed uh, the race course. Now, usually these type of things, they usually... Not, I mean, I don't have any scientific evidence here, but they do tend to either use a course that is kind of permanent or just leave the existing uh, uh, race courses for, you know, for people in the local area to use. Well, this time, apparently the plan all along was to completely remove it. So they did that. And apparently a lot of the locals in Scotland are not happy about it. They assumed as I probably would if it was a local thing, that uh, you'd be able to ride on that for some uh, foreseeable amount of time. Apparently, nope. They planned it all along. They built it. They tore it all down, and it's right back the way it was. So that's kind of a bummer. I'd, it'd be kind of cool. Apparently, the uh, local business owners and the people in charge of tourism were kind of planning on uh, having that become a you know, a well-visited place. And now it's like you show up there and all you see is kind of a bike bike path type of a bike park, if you will. So it's a bummer. I didn't even know that that really was ever a thing. I just figured once you build it, it's kind of there for good. So that's about it for the tidbits. I'd like to get on to the gear talk because that's got some good stuff. So here we go. Changing gears. More new stuff we don't really need. Don't really need. Boy, if that's the key this week. Here's the thing. Uh, I do have a Atso Voitec fat bike that I use because I am in the upper Midwest and fat biking is quite a thing up here. At least for me, uh, there is a race series called the Huge Ass Race Series. It is put on by a large chain of bike shops up in southern Wisconsin and I've been doing that kind of gets me through the winter you know I do some Zwifting and then I do these uh these races and I'm not a competitive racer and let's be honest I just do it for fun but uh anyway so my Atso Wojtek has has been fantastic because of the uh the narrow Q factor as they say everybody knows uh how wide Q factors on fight on typical fat bikes are if they've ridden one uh, the 197 rear ends usually end up to be like 
200 plus millimeter uh, distance between the pedals versus, you know, like 168 is what my uh, cross country bike is. So it really kind of spreads your, your feet out. And it affected me the first time I rode a truck Farley. Um, I felt it within five minutes. My knees started not feeling very well. It was kind of, I didn't even expect it. So it's not like I was uh, mentally, you know, tricking myself. It, it, it was a real thing. So that led me down the path. I ended up with a Rocky Mountain Suzy Q at the time, uh, an aluminum kind of a tank or aluminum model. It had the narrow bottom bracket as well. It was okay. Uh, then I went to a carbon Suzy Q and and really, really wanted a Voitech. So I ended up getting one. I found one used, and I, I've loved that thing. I got three sets of wheels for it. I got some 29er wheels. I got uh, my race day super uber light carbon wheels, and then I got my standard aluminum wheels that I, um, I'm i going to put some uh, studded tires on for the icy uh times a few times a year I, I always wanted to try some studded tires so I have three sets of wheels and the new Voitech comes out yesterday I really have been keeping my eye on this bike for a while they go back to 2016 so we're looking at you know seven-year-old frames here it's about due for an update uh, I've got absolutely nothing to complain about uh, other than mine's getting a little little banged up so I was really psyched. I, I, you know, they lowered the price of the original Voitech a couple weeks ago. That usually indicates there's something new coming. Here it comes. Make big announcement. Ah, hey, great. It looks just like the old Voitech. I did not, you know, want them to go messing around with it because I, I kind of think it's perfect the way it is. Uh, but two things really bummed me out. And I need to stop complaining about this on the forums because everybody's going to start thinking I'm a I'm a moron, but um, they dished the rear wheel five millimeters over, which means every wheel set I have technically should be redished just for this new bike. Even though I wanted to keep my old Otso and be able to swap the wheels between them as I see fit, apparently that is not the case. I would have to, at least for the, the fat tires, send it back to my builder. Uh, Mike C, who I got from uh, MTBR, very well known, and say, here, I have to pay, to ship three fat bike wheels to and from and pay him to redish them. I'm guessing it's going to be at least a few hundred dollars, if you know, if not $300, just with the way shipping is gone. And then I can't swap them, so it's like all or none. Or I buy new wheels from Voitech, which... I don't want to do makes no sense so I was actually I was shocked that they did that there's no reason to do that in my opinion the, the bike already accepted plenty wide wheels and just to eke out a little more you know just just get a 197 rear fat bike if you're into five inch tires and four and a half inch 27.5 wheels I just don't see the need to keep mess to mess with something like that now, people on the forums tell me, oh, you won't even notice 5 million. I bet your tires and wheels will work just fine as it is. Maybe. I have no way to know, and I'm certainly not spending four grand on a frame or a bike and then find out i got to send uh, three of my wheels back. So, I don't know. That really rubs me the wrong way, no pun intended. Um, the other thing is they did not, and this is, I mean, I understand why, but more shocking, they did not use the, a universal derailleur hanger. 
on these frames so you cannot upgrade to any of these SRAM transmission uh, drivetrain. Now I know that a lot of people don't use electronic drivetrains on fat bikes in the winter. I get that, but plenty do. And I actually ride my bike pretty much all year round, more or less. I, I don't ride it as much in the summer. But I was going to put uh, electronic, you know, an Axis transmission drivetrain on my new Voitech in next year. And due to the, I'm assuming, the flip chip they have in the back where you can put the rear wheel in three different places. I believe it's 10 millimeters apart uh, from the rear, middle, and front setting. So 20 millimeters total. I just pushed mine all the way to the back and let it go because I, you know, I want the mud clear. I, I can't notice 10 millimeters, 20. I, it doesn't really change things at all for me. So I would rather them lose that or just come up with a way to have both. Uh, to me, that's, you know, they're the wizards of machining over there. They already figured out a way to, to, to float the uh, brake mount so that when you move the flip chip, the brake mount moves. Uh, it's not attached to the frame, so I don't see why they couldn't have come up with some cool way to do that. Who knows? But as they say on Shark Tank, for those two reasons, I'm out. And I'm bummed because there is really no other frame out there right now that I can find that has the 83 mil bottom bracket, which gives me around 183 uh, Q factor, which is not much wider than my uh, cross country bike. I, I, you know, I don't think there are any brand new lightweight carbon frames that have adopted this old school standard of 177 rear hub with the 83 bottom bracket. And I have. Kurt Lowe, my custom frame builder who builds in steel, I, I was thinking of talking to him, uh, saying if he could, if I could send him my Voitech and say, here, can you match this? Just, you know, do I need another fat bike? No, but if I had to, or if something happened to this one, that's probably be my only shot. I don't know. The whole thing is probably overblown in my opinion, but the UDH having no uh, path forward for a modern drivetrain attachment is a bummer because I'm pretty sure Shimano's next, uh, if not this one coming, because uh, the rumor has it that there's new XTR going to be shown within the next couple weeks. It's already being tested on uh, some major publications and it's going to be released. They've absolutely had zero spy shots, I must give them credit. I'm guessing that maybe that might require a direct mount type uh, system as well. They they have shown a patent. Shimano has already, somebody uh, dug it up that they've come up with a very, very similar. Of course, it's not the same. Heaven forbid we use the same uh, mounting system. And nope, because uh, Shimano has to have their own. So they're going to have a different system. I'm assuming frames that are built around UDH will be able to use this new system. I can't for the life of me imagine Shimano would be dumb enough to require a whole nother uh system being developed but you never know shimano seems to be a little better than sram at uh keeping the old standards going so maybe they would offer both uh direct mount and not so i guess if you're into shimano doesn't matter if you're into sram your new voitech is probably gonna have to use some old dig up some old stuff or just use the current shimano kind of a bummer so much for future proofing on a brand new frame. 
Uh, what else? Um, some new mechanical shifters while we're talking about shifting. The company's called Vivo, V-I-V-O. And this was over on singletracks.com. I don't know, a lot of this week, a couple days ago. But there are some new shifters. Now, somebody looks like they just basically went to their CNC machine and built. It basically looks like they took apart all the major mechanical shifters and then just kind of assembled a new one. It's beautiful. It's all it's all silver aluminum and you know the, the final product looks very official. It's got some 3D printed plastic parts kind of bolted, but the thing is it's beautiful in my opinion. It's from New York State even. Usually this type of stuff seems to come in from from Germany or Europe or Spain or somewhere, but um, everything is made by them. Aluminum, stainless steel, and titanium. Uh, uh, it's 315 bucks for one shift. Now, granted, that's insane, but when you see this thing, it really is cool. And the, why, why do such a thing? Well, here's the benefit to it. You can swap out and adjust all the touch points, the thumb and the... Uh, four-finger um, buttons can be swapped, changed, moved. Uh, you can almost create kind of anything you like. And I'm assuming they're, they'll just be coming out with even more of those uh, attachment points. You can also use it with Shimano and SRAM shift uh, derailers. You don't even have to buy separate ones. And you can even, and I don't know how they're getting around a patent. I'm pretty sure Shimano, maybe the, maybe the patent has expired, right? where you can use your index finger on the front side of the grip and kind of hit the, uh, hit the back of the, the button to shift that way. Like if you anybody like me who has the old Shimano 9-speed stuff, I don't know, does current Shimano stuff work like that? I'd have to hope they did. I haven't used current Shimano stuff in many years, six, seven years now. Um, but that was the whole benefit, in my opinion, is that you could use your thumb or your forefinger, you know, to do those uh, type of shifts. So this is cool. In a time, you know, when everybody's going electronic, for these type of small guys to create something like this, kind of interesting. Um, so keep an eye out for that. If you go to singletracks.com, just do a search for Vivo. V. It's called the Vivo F3, so maybe just Google that. I have not looked at their website, but that to me is very interesting. Would I want to run a cable back and go mechanical again after uh, switching to Axis? You know what? If it worked well, it's not the end, not not out of the question. Uh, after this Voitech thing, kind of makes me not want to pursue keeping up with the current stuff as much as I was thinking I would. As I tend to ride stuff a very long time. I went from 9-speed Shimano XDR right to, you know, SRAM 11-speed 1-by. I went from a 3-by 9-speed to a 1-by 11-speed in just one jump. Never did everything in between. So, I don't know. Quite interesting. Let's, uh, that's it for the gear track. Well, of course, there is the Fox Reverse Arch uh, Stepcast fork that they're showing. But... All that has, I mean, there's, it's been shown, I think I mentioned it earlier, but nothing too uh, new has been announced on that. But I'm pretty sure the next Fox uh, cross-country fork will be a reverse arch. 
So keep an eye out for that. I'll I'll let you know when that becomes available. That that is intriguing for many reasons. All right. Let's do some uh, quick old school stuff cuz this is pretty funny. Let's go. Let's talk about the old school. All right. Don't judge, but uh, I was watching Baywatch. Now I can only tolerate typically 5-10 minutes of Baywatch at a time and then I have to move on. It's just so heartbreakingly bad the acting and storylines but uh, that's for a different day but here I am watching a show and uh, and I had forgotten I seen this years and years and years ago uh, it's an episode called a matter of life and death it was released uh, in January of 93 and there's a whole bunch of scenes where they're mountain biking they're cross-country I remember 93 mountain biking was cross-country there's like groups of uh, they don't really explain or I can't tell who any of them are I mean you could tell as, as with these type of shows where many of them were probably pros or local experts um, you know riding and then of course they'd have a few of the lifeguards uh, get their helmets on and go for a ride uh, it's just kind of it's it's so fast the way they do the cuts it's kind of hard to tell who's who and what's what but uh, there's a great, I think it's a Miata. Is it Montero? Was that Miata? It looked like an Alpine Stars. It's it's one with the uh, the um, above, what do they call that? Uh, the raised chain stay on the right side. Those bikes, that era. Um, rigid, most of them are rigid forks, even in 93. Uh, and there's some kind of cool scene. You know, they're riding in the trails out there. And uh, there's one guy, if you look, you could see he's got just a front wheel. It's not Spinergy. I, what was that other brand that had a three-spoke carbon wheel? Uh, Spinergy had those flat blade. I don't think it was a version of a Spinergy wheel, but that I haven't seen one of those in ages. Um, he saw a couple... KHS Montaro, that's who it was. But they didn't have the the raised chain stays so the guy hopped on a raised chain stay I'm 99% sure it said Miata I could tell and then they show him riding and then they do a close-up and it's a Montaro frame KHS so now that I think about it they're doing some creative editing there the the uh, woman lifeguard is just on a very plain Jane red rigid bike with I don't even see decals on it but there's at least a dozen racers or riders with full outfits, Team KHS, and I can't tell if you're there. So just check that one out if you're ever bored. Uh, they're all on Prime uh, Season 3, you want to look up. So if you got Amazon Prime Video, Season 3, and you can just fast forward, and, and there's several scenes uh, right in the middle, right at the end, where they're, it's kind of funny. It's brought me back uh, to that era. Everybody looks like a dork riding their bikes with the narrow bars, and I, I don't know why, but whenever you see bikers, whether it was BMX in the old days or mountain biking, they always look stupid riding their bikes. They look like they're very uncomfortable. Uh, I don't know what that is, uh, but uh, the second thing I noticed, and I don't know how these feeds, well, I know how, but the, somebody keeps releasing or showing, I keep seeing these uh, old World Cup videos from Eurosport. Now, some of them are from ESPN here in America, like the Norba's, some of the but the Eurosport was showing the World Cups and this was 1991 uh, apparently and that's the first year I ever my second race ever was the 1991 Traverse City 
uh, Grundig World Cup. Not I didn't even know until now that that was the first year of, of the official World Cup. And I also didn't know that Traverse City was the first race of the season. So I was at the very first World Cup and didn't even know it. I actually raced. Uh, it was my it was 900 degrees out and it was all sand and it was brutal and I, I finished but I was wiped out for a week afterwards and it was the most fun I ever had and I, I'm still going. But anyway, um, so they're showing the Mammoth Mountain World Cup which is unlike even typical, I mean this was long, this was at altitude, I think he said 8,000 feet. Um, kind of smooth because it wasn't a lot of uh, technical. It's just climbing and climbing. And of course, it's all very barren up there. It's very dusty and kind of wide open. Uh, it looked extremely difficult, but it was the winning time was over two and a half hours. Dave Weens won that over two and a half with most of the races coming in a full three hours. Uh, in fact, second place was eight in a almost nine minutes back was second place so picture that nowadays picture a race and nine minutes or even five minutes is a gap you know you're most of these races are one a minute is pretty good um, so that was kind of funny it's such a different vibe back then uh, Furtado Julie Furtado was not having a particularly good day um, which I don't remember back then. It seems like I remember her kicking butt almost every race. She just didn't have it for whatever reason, but <laughs> the camera guy was, she was crawling so slow climbing up these hills that she actually started talking to the cameraman uh, while she was racing. You know, they're like having a conversation. Imagine imagine uh, a Nino or somebody looking over at the camera guy you know, while they're running and just chatting with him, so whole different world out there. Uh, the other interesting thing is uh, there were zero visors uh, on anybody's helmet. Now, granted, helmet technology was just road helmets back then. But at some point, and I, I, I tracked it down a couple of years later, I, I watched the 93 World Cup, and Tomac had a proper visor on his helmet. And that was the first time, the first... He, I, did he start... The entire uh, helmet visor trend all by himself? Did everybody then? Because I remember everybody had, it seemed like almost everybody back in the 90s had visors on their helmet. At some point, I'm still using them. I never really got over that. Um, so that's interesting too. Yeah, that's 39 miles, by the way, for the race. 39 miles. It was like... Uh, 16 mile loops or something 13 mile loops they did three that's insanity it was cool but it was quite boring I mean, they ended up skipping almost all the the laps because you couldn't possibly show a three hour uh, uh suffer fest but if you ever want to check that one out go look up the 1991 mammoth world cup you will it's just interesting even if you're younger and never went through that just to kind of look and see what's similar i mean there's some things that are similar and and what's not. For example, the uh, one of the next races of 91, somewhere, I think it was in France, um, they had the deal where you throw your bike, the bikes were all lined up like 50 feet away, and all the pro. this is the pros, they all had to run, you know, rally style, run over to their bike and get on it and go. They didn't just line up. I don't remember them ever doing that. So 
kind of crazy how things were still up in the air back then. Uh, so there we go. What else do we got going? That was the old school. Got some uh, quite a bit of racing stuff to talk about, and then we'll wrap it up. Let's get going. Racing news and views. Alrighty, racing, racing. I know some of you probably don't even care about racing, but I still like to keep up with it. First and foremost, my own racing uh, news. I put my name on the wait list for the Iceman Cometh up in northern Michigan. This has been going on for, oh my gosh, 40, I think Shawamagon and Iceman are both within a year or two of each other. It's almost 40 years, if not 40. Uh, I did this once back in 2015. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had on a mountain bike, believe it or not. I will not bore you with the details, but between the weather, me, I was almost 200 pounds. I was a good 40 pounds overweight, and I was one of the only people at, uh, well, not only people. I had my 26-inch steel hardtail, and... I just should not have really been out there. And it, it a two and a half, three hour race ended up taking me five hours. I just had to keep stopping at all the rest stops, hanging out, eating some oranges and uh, talking to all the other fat guys who couldn't uh, get through the race in one, one swirl. So I always said to myself, I have got to go do that at least one more time uh, before I quit. So just for the heck of it, last year I actually got on the wait list. You know, you have to sign up in March-ish when it opens up. And then you're, you know, it is still kind of luck of the, you know, luck of the draw. You could still not get in. But I'm guessing nowadays if you sign up right away in March, you're going to get in. But anyway, I wasn't in the mood. So uh, 2022, I signed up in maybe June on the wait list and... Went ahead and made a hotel reservation just for myself. Nobody else wanted to go. None of my family was in the mood for traveling in November in northern Michigan. So I signed up. I paid my fee. And then the race day came and I ended up not going. So I just kind of forfeited all that. I was able to get my hotel back. That kind of bummed me out for a couple of weeks. I thought, why don't I just get my butt up there and go? I didn't want to go by myself, I guess. Nobody would go with me. So this year, you know, I thought, ah, let's try one more time. Maybe the weather gods will uh, be on my side this year. And I signed up in August. I was quite late, end of July, August, thinking, well, that's probably too late. I was like number 500 on the wait list. Every uh, couple weeks there for a while, they would put a new list out, and I'd look, and I was hundreds and hundreds away. Make a long story short, I got my notice last or this past Monday, that you have three days to go ahead and grab your spot. You are in if you want it. So I did that. So I will be racing, uh, I should say racing, I will be riding The Iceman Cometh for the second time, November 4th. Uh, I was able to, now this is strange, middle of September, they mentioned you need a hotel. Call the, uh, the actual resort where the race is headquartered. Uh, they had rooms this late for four people, and they were cheap, dare I say. Before all the fees and crap, they were like 125 bucks a night for a Friday and a Saturday night um, for four, two queen beds for four people with 
that's shocking. So for three nights, it was only 500 bucks, which is pretty cheap nowadays, especially at a resort like that and at the race. So kudos to them for keeping some rooms open or something. I don't know what they did. So I'm going this year. And if nobody wants to go again, I will just cancel uh, the extra couple nights and go all by my lonesome self and see if I can get through it. And my goal is three hours or less. I don't even know if that's realistic. I was so bad in 2015. So I got that to look forward to. I have one more race. My last cross-country race is in two weeks up in Wisconsin. And then I got this one in November 4th. And then I switched to fat biking for the rest of the year. Zwifting and fat biking. Uh, moving on. The Cape Epic route was revealed. It's the 20th anniversary. I love that race. I could watch that three times a year. They do have other uh, Cape races around and they do show them on TV, but it's usually with non-English uh, commentators, and it's usually not all the big big guns uh, that are hitting those. So this year, March again, the 20th anniversary, I can't wait to see if we're going to get a few more uh, cross-country people this year, or next year, I should say. But uh, I look forward to that, so that's cool. They're going to keep that going. Schwamagon, of course, is come and gone. And Keegan Swenson did not win. That's the headline. Not who won, Alexei Vermeulen, which is cool because I know he's been he's been busting his butt trying to uh, trying to get to the top at Leadville in a lot of these races this year. So excellent uh, news for him. Fourteen people apparently sprinted for the win after a uh, forty mile race, which is kind of unusual. Usually, maybe a couple. Maybe a couple take off, you know, a couple miles from the end. But 14 of them, and pretty much all the all the big names were in there. And uh, Alexi won it, so that's cool. I did do that race uh, 2014, 13, and actually had a really good day. So my desire to get back to that has not been as strong as Iceman. But I will probably do Shawamaga next year because it's just such a beautiful part of the country up there in northern Wisconsin. So that's cool. Let's talk about the uh, test event that is going to happen this coming weekend already. And it's, you know, it's, I haven't seen a whole lot of mention of it, but it is happening. Now, there's no points, no prizes, no money. There aren't even age categories. So there's just a men's and a women's race, and that's it. If you're a if you're under 23 or whatever, that doesn't matter. It's just all in men and women, which is kind of cool. I mean, I'm assuming if I remember, that's how the Olympics work. Um, so basically, what you, let's see, um, there are 42 countries that were invited. It's all by invitation. Anybody can attend it, but only people invited can race, and their own countries have to invite them. This is not something the Olympic Committee is dreaming up so there's 56 men and 57 women and they're estimating a couple thousand people will show up being as it's outside of of paris i would think that might be a low number i would think more people might show up unless they're charging a crap load of money which seems like is the norm with the olympics but uh it's going to be a short lap it's going to be like well i mean they'll have a starting loop it's like a four mile four kilometer lap what is that like two, two and a half miles. Uh, 
230 meters of altitude. So we are not talking, you know, a super climby course here. What is that, uh, eight 900 feet? I mean, they can still have some tough short climbs, but this is, you know, maybe not a Mona Mitterwalner type of a, of a course, although she's fast no matter what, so can't rule her out. They'll have the typical rock gardens and man-made jumps and all that type of thing. So Friday uh, in two days is simply training. And then said, I have not found anybody who's going to be showing this. It doesn't show up on GCN Plus, at least the last time I looked, a couple about a week ago, it was not listed. So I don't know if anybody's going to actually show this. Seems like they did show the one in Tokyo. Seems like I remember watching it. Maybe not. I forget. And then Saturday, they will have training again. Men training, only women training, and then everybody. And then Sunday is the big race. So, um, you know, women's first and then men's, and that's it. So it's just going to be two races done. No fanfare, no uh, nothing else. I'm not even going to bother saying who could possibly win, but everybody probably remembers Neff won the test event in Tokyo, like in July, or when was it? I don't remember. It was several months ahead of the actual race. And then she ended up winning the actual Olympics. Not that that is likely to happen again, but I'm uh, pretty sure, at least that's what everybody seems to be saying, that Vanderpoel will be there. I'm assuming Pidcock might be there. He, I don't think he's in the middle of... So this could be probably one of the more... Uh, filled up at least European uh, races now with all the World Cup races from the U.S. going to be probably, I'm assuming they're back home for the Snowshoe and uh, Canadian World Cups. Uh, I'm assuming maybe we don't, you know, the U.S. didn't send their people over there. I don't even know who it would be at this point. I never bothered to look it up. So that's kind of interesting. Well, at least we'll find out the results of that probably Sunday evening. If I could find a place that's showing it, uh, I might post that on our website and kind of go on from there. So, speaking of Keegan Swenson not winning Shawamagan, he is flying to the Gravel World Championships. Now, he kicked everybody's butt in gravel races in America, obviously, last year and this year. He's just literally, I think he, this year he's won everything. I think Shawamagan might be the first one he didn't win. And that's not a gravel race. So it's curious to see how he ends up doing over there with uh, all the professional road riders who are mainly going to be the ones he's racing against, I would think. You know, I hope he does well, but he may just kind of be a little more middle pack. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see. He's so fast here. Can he do that in a whole different environment? And lastly, there's some uh, team switching news that I thought would be a little more prevalent uh, already. I just assumed for some reason that there would be all kinds of announcements because they said a lot of the deals were being made last week. Um, I mean, you have Samara Maxwell from, I believe, New Zealand or Australia. I think Australia. She's the under 23. Uh, she's been kicking everybody's butt this year. Uh, rumor has it she's going to Rock Rider, which Rock Rider's building... Quite a nice team uh, of up-and-comers. 
So that's cool. But other than that, I haven't heard anything about anybody switching, any of the big teams. So I guess we keep waiting for that. So that's it for now. Uh, kind of a, aside from the test event, nothing much going on the world stage or locally. And then in two less than two weeks, we deal with snowshoe. I am not going to snowshoe. I went in 2019. I, I've got a couple things other than biking that I have to attend to uh, that day on Saturday, uh, that, that weekend of snowshoe. So I'm going to skip another year. Maybe next year I can get to one of them. Um, if they do have one in New York next year, as some of the rumors are saying, or maybe Park City or California, I may actually take a ride and go to one somewhere else. So that's cool. All right. Stay safe. Get out and ride while you still can. People in the upper Midwest especially before the weather turns to crap. And we'll see you next week. Thank you ever so much for listening to Short Travel Magazine. 